0: I'm here, DJ, along with my co-host, Mark. Bona sera, ladies and gentlemen. We're here just to drink some whiskey and talk about something interesting. Hopefully, you'll all enjoy our topic this week. But before we get into it, Mark, what you been up to this week?
1: Well, I don't sound like I'm, you know, death warmed over this week. I got my voice back. Excellent. Uh, we did some more work on the, uh, the homestead here. We have, we've been having the contractors coming in and out. But the, uh, the big thing was we had our big car club party over the weekend. You know, I'm involved in a little car club. When I say big car club party. You know, there's like 17 of us in the entirety of the club, and I think half of us came. But we talked a lot of shop. We did a little bench racing. We looked at Ronnie's new project. He's building a, a 57 sedan delivery, an old Chevrolet wagon that he's going to make uh, into a drag car. And we sampled a great many libations. Uh, A few gentlemen procured some homemade moonshine, which, as you know, I'm always a fan of. Oh, yes. Uh, We had some Jack Daniels. We had some Tillamore Dew. We had some uh, Dr. McGillicuddy's. And we even had a little bit of what I'm going to review a little bit later on this evening. So, uh, you know, we we ate some pizza, ate some wings, watched some racing, talked some racing, had some drinks. Hopefully I close the deal with Ronnie. I'm trying to buy a set of heads off him for the motor I'm building for the Roadster. So hopefully uh, I was able to wine and dine him a little bit on Saturday, and he's going to hook me up. But other than that, it was pretty good. Uh,
0: What did you do this week, buddy? Let's see. I mean, not a ton. I did—I had some stuff brewing down in the lab. I just got done with two seven-day liqueurs, so— I finished up a a nice, like, New England fall apple spice liqueur. When we went apple picking this time, we went to a place we don't usually go to. It's about a half hour away, and it was a lot of fun. And they had, like, two huge orchards, Uh, and one of them was, like, you know, your Red Delicious, your Macintosh, your Cortlands, like, you know, all the stuff that you would normally find. And then we found, like, the secret hidden orchard that had all of, like, so many rare, like apples, that they could only do like half rows of them. And we found one called Fairy Crunch. Uh, <laughs> that sounds with, like
1: a breakfast cereal, right?
0: It's actually my new favorite apple now uh, because I am a New England fall hipster, but it's kind of like Honey Crisp. It, it's, but it, it's, it's different. It's, it's sweet and it's crisp and they're small too. Like you can't really use them for anything but eating. They're really good. So I tossed one of those into the apple spice liqueur. I got a nice Japanese variant apple in there. Cortland and a Mac. So you get some some good stuff in there. I, we couldn't find any Granny Smiths at this orchard, which was really interesting. So That makes uh,
1: me sad. I love Granny Smiths.
0: I feel like there are too many green apple-flavored things in my life for, for me to really, truly love a Granny Smith. But I got to give them credit where credit's due. It does tend to mellow out. Uh, The sweetness of other apples. So this batch of apple spice liqueur, I thought it was really good, but I tend to like sweet things. So uh, we'll see when I I share it with my, my dad later in the month. And I finally fixed my problem with the cucumber mint liqueur. I fixed it by making a second batch and not sweetening it so I could cut the sugar back. So now I have 10 bottles of cucumber mint liqueur and have no idea what to do with them. That is the most DJ problem I think I've ever heard on in my entire life. Yeah, I didn't actually think about the fact that I would have 10 bottles of Standard Strength and 2 bottles of Oversweet. I now just... Mark, I have too many bottles of homemade liqueur at this point. Uh, I don't know if there's such a thing as too many. Uh,
1: I just look at it as, you know, you're stocking up in case, God forbid, we have another shutdown.
0: I guess that's fair. I will likely at some point be super self-indulgent and, re- and review one of my own liqueurs, but my head's not quite that big yet, so we'll, well see. I, mean, I
1: think I think we have some interesting, at least online for the blog, I think we have some interesting reviews coming up because I was bored out of my mind the other day and I started playing around with gin ah. uh, because I was inspired by two young ladies who I'm attempting another multimedia project with and their love of everything 1920s and gin-related. So I may do a blog post on that. And I also was able to acquire two 12-packs of the Yingling Hershey's Porter. And, I mean, as we've talked about you know, here on the podcast, I'm not very big into quote-unquote hipster beers, but if there's something just utterly bizarre or nostalgic that comes out, I will try to get my hands on it. And, you know, this is two great Pennsylvania institutions from uh, the 1800s, the Engling Brewery and the Hershey Chocolate Factory, and they got together and basically made alcoholic chocolate milk. Whoa. So uh, I may be reviewing that in the future, not on the podcast, but uh, on our blog, just because it'll give me something to do. And if you're interested, you can read that, because, of course, this isn't
0: necessarily a beer podcast, but... Oh, totally fair. Shit I, is weird. You know, I've been thinking <laughs> about it for a while because uh, a buddy of mine. I I'm not a huge fan of them just because I am skeptical of anything that is this easy to drink. But uh, a buddy of mine really likes Long Island iced teas, so yeah. I yeah <laughs> yeah so <laughs> they I can be dangerous. <laughs> they they can be very dangerous. Now it should be noted, dear listeners, that Mark and I are coming at this whole aspect of Im- imbibing that you know we're both in our 30s so we're kind of we're kind of solidly out of that you know college age mentality but we're also not quite at the point where we've you know got nice old experienced palettes so no i get we're, it anyway yeah we're, we're kind of in between things and i May at one point do a blog from the well where I just gather. Uh, I mean, I want to at some point make like a zombie and make a Long Island and there's a Tokyo Long Island iced tea that's uh, that you pour uh, Midori over it uh, and <laughs> y- y'all know how much I love that Midori. So I was
1: gonna say, is that just like a DJT and nobody told me or
0: I think it's uh, I think it's basically a a, a like. A whoop your ass version of the the dragonberry drink I used to get at the game pad. Okay, we yeah. May it rest in peace. Yeah. Pour one out, boys. But yeah, no, it, it's it's been kind of a week of experiments. Got some stuff brewing there. You know, gearing up for another weekend of working on the house. And nothing super interesting there. But yeah, nothing no, nothing super exciting. I don't think. Work, work, work. Of course, but. N- nobody no wants to for hear about that. Yeah. It, it's been a pretty good week. Uh, all things considered, it, I, there's been some chill time. Uh, and there's been some time to, you know, taste some interesting things, which brings us into Mark, what are you drinking?
1: Well, I went a little different. I went a little out of my comfort zone this week because, of course, that's what this podcast is about. And I picked up a bottle of Irish whiskey. Ooh. i picked up a bottle of now i've seen this listed as both just proper 12 or proper number 12 i call it proper number 12 if that's wrong i'm sure somebody will write in on twitter or facebook or instagram and correct me
0: listeners th- this is the same guy who who pronounces cad c-a-d so yes c-a-d imaging uh, my god and c-f-d
1: design computer fluidated design anyway uh, so I, I call it proper number 12, and, uh, when we get into it a little bit more, I'll explain my reasoning behind that. Now, for those of you who don't know, proper number 12 is a relatively new Irish whiskey. Uh, it's only been around here, I don't even think, for a year, if we're honest. Uh, and it is the label owned by Conor McGregor, the UFC
0: fighter. <laughs> of course you'd be uh, drinking that.
1: I, I, you know, uh. I've seen a few McGregor's fights. I'd be lying if I said I hadn't. Um, I have vivid memories of my buddy Big Ed, who I used to race with. We all went down to his pit the one night, and he had a satellite dish on his motorhome, and he ordered the fight. McGregor doesn't know how, you know, doesn't want to bother with distilling, doesn't know how to distill. So they brought in a gentleman named David Elder, who apparently worked for Guinness for quite a while, and then was working for Bushmills Distillery as well. So, you know, a true Irish lad... Uh, who they brought in to do this, and you know, it checks all the right boxes. It's supposedly aged for at least three years. It's eighty proof. It has a nice, you know, thick, heavy glass bottle. Uh, but I went into this with my mind kind of a blank slate because I don't drink a lot of Irish whiskey. Uh, you know, I'll drink about a bottle of Telemore Dew on uh, around St. Patrick's Day when I go to the Friendly Sons dinner every year. And, you know, maybe a bo- half a bottle to a bottle of Jameson over the course of the year. So mm. I can probably count on one hand with fingers left over how many days I normally drink Irish whiskey. And I had heard, you know, through word of mouth, mixed reviews, if we're honest. Um, although my buddy Mike, who, you know, is basically purebred Irish, you know, pale skin, red hair, freckles, the whole nine yards. He said, you got to try it. And if nothing else, you know. One of McGregor's promos, you know, you, you, you listen to him talk, and, oh, everything is just, it's fucking wonderful, you know? You got to try my fucking whiskey. So, all right, well, we'll give it a try. So I found a bottle in the liquor store, and I liked it, actually. It's, I would argue, it's better than Jameson, at least to me. And I can hear, you know, numerous people gasping on the, other end of the line as I say that. But it's very, very smooth. It's very, very light. It has almost a fruity flavor to it. It's kind of spicy in the beginning, like a little bit of nutmeg, a little bit of cinnamon, and then it tails off into almost a appley kind of taste. And then it just gives you a little shot right across your mouth with, you know, the actual burn with the whiskey taste. Uh, so I really enjoyed it. Uh, I had a little bit left. I mean, I, I had a. Uh, they didn't have the big bottles; they had the pints. So I had the, the little bottles, and I took one of the pints with me to the party, gave it to a few of the uh, gentlemen in the club. Uh, we were doing shots, and, and they also thought it was pretty smooth. Of course, by the time you know they started drinking it, they were pretty far gone. So take that with you know a grain of salt. Uh, you know, I had heard from different people that they didn't like it because it isn't as complex as a Telemore dude. It isn't as complex as a a Jameson. But, you know, sometimes simple is good, and, you know, it checks all the right boxes. It's a love letter to Ireland. Um, you know, the number 12 actually comes from the zip code. It's actually Dublin 12 is the zip code of McGregor's hometown, apparently, which is why I call it number 12. Oh, nice. Um, so, you know, I like it. For the price point, you know, it's right around $30 here for a regular bottle. It's like, I think it was 14 for a pint, so it was like $28 for two pints. I guess that's okay for what it is. Like I said, I don't buy a lot of Irish whiskey. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what a bottle of Jameson goes for in PA. But it was definitely worth the money. So I would say
0: go buy now if you like Irish whiskey. Perfect. I love it. Take a sip of it right now, in fact. What about you, brother? What are you drinking? So I dipped back into my tasting boxes. I had a couple more vials left. Uh, And in the theme of continuing with some Japanese whiskeys... I pulled a, an 8-year-old sherry cask pure malt whiskey. Kira Yoshi, I think is how you pronounce it. I had never heard of this before. Uh, I'm going to be looking for it when I go to the liquor store just to kind of see what the bottle looks like up close. It's pretty good. It does have that kind of like toasty bite at the end. Mm-hmm. Not quite as as harsh as some of the whiskeys I've had more recently. You know, de- It's definitely not in the, the realm of rye when it comes to burn. But I'm getting some fruity notes. I'm getting some... It's definitely some toasted, maybe a little bit of almond in there. Uh, it's pretty good. I like it. It, it d- definitely has some back notes of, of sherry uh, that that I, I'm finding kind of interesting. It doesn't quite taste as, as sherry-esque as that Breckenridge I did. About, I think it was like episode two or something like that. But this is pretty good. I enjoy it. The Japanese definitely know what they're doing. I, I can't recommend this as an entry-level whiskey, though. I looked up what the price of a... A standard, you know, 750 mil bottle of this, and it's about $87. So if y'all really like Japanese whiskey, uh, it's it's probably worth picking up. But I, I can't recommend it for your everyday drinking whiskey. Pandemic recession news on the hour. Brought mm-hmm. to you by the Witten Whiskey Podcast. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's a nice treat. It does kind of have a, a nice burn to it. Uh, I'm drinking it over some whiskey stones, but uh, it would be lovely uh, neat. I, I definitely think drinking it cold I'm starting to kinda get a sense for like drinking whiskey cold versus drinking whiskey neat and uh it, it kinda mellows out the burn a little bit and I, I'm I'm liking that. That's generally how I, I like to drink whiskey. So yeah, uh, definitely check it out. Pure Yoshi eight year old cherry cast pure malt whiskey. There you go.
1: This has really been a uh Properly balanced show, both in terms of price, but in terms of range of whiskey. There's yes. yeah. Not really much in common on, on the reviews this week.
0: No, no. I mean, don't get me wrong, though. I love a good Irish whiskey. I've just had quite a few of them, so I'm, I'm traveling down the Japanese routes lately. But I will, I will always return back to my great love, which is Jameson Black Barrel. So.
1: Yeah. yeah. Opposite ends of the globe. We hit Ireland. We hit Japan this week. God only knows where I'll we'll end
0: up next week. I'm looking forward to it, though. But before we get to next week, we're talking about toxic fandoms today. Oh boy, here we go.
1: Now, I, I do feel we need to throw a little disclaimer out here, much like our overs and unders episode a few weeks back. Just because a fandom is toxic doesn't necessarily mean the show is bad or good or anything. Uh, on a, usually a work will stand on its own most of the time so you know the, the fandom for the most part with some exceptions shouldn't really reflect the work too terribly uh, You know, at least I hope not anyway likewise you know fandoms are people they're humans you know uh, and it's for the most part with a few notable exceptions Rick and Morty uh, <laughs> it's a very minority vocal minority of people That are the assholes. And, you know, so we shouldn't judge the entirety of the fan base or the entirety of the work on those people. Likewise, you know, I think we had a few ground rules here. They were unofficial ground rules, but we ended up following them anyway. Uh, Nothing political, because that's just a quagmire we don't want to get into. Exactly. Uh, Nothing... Uh, sports related just because there's so many and everybody thinks you know their rivals fandom is toxic and vice versa
0: and uh, it, uh, mark and i know not very much about sports we're not authorities
1: <laughs> uh, depending on the sport i could hold my own but yes generally you're right and uh, likewise we didn't do youtube if you could just google toxic fandoms nine times out of ten the results you get are ragging on various youtubers and various twitch streamers but you know that's not real media, so we're not going to cover that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think, I think we can collectively agree here in this podcast that comment sections are where any sort of uh, polite civility. discourse, yeah. yeah, civility just goes to die.
1: Yeah. Be- if you ever want to lose faith in humanity, read Dear Abby if you could still find it, if you still have a newspaper in your home, or go on YouTube, a uh, comment section, or literally any page on Reddit.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, it is the lowest of the lowest of the low.
0: I, I am reminded. I was reminded this week of a Facebook group I joined not too long ago because I, I mean this is this is a problem. This is why we're talking about it. Mark and I are, are geeks. We are involved in a, a fair number of fandoms at this point, point. and uh, one of the ones that I didn't include um, is is Doctor Who. I, I happen to love Doctor Who. I think it's an amazing show. I'm not going to get into it, but I. I have been on some Doctor Who groups in the past that were kind of shitty, and I finally settled on one that is literally called Doctor Who Fans Who Actually Like the Show. <laughs> That's properly glorious, It is. That's all I'm going to say about Doctor Who. I mean, there are some... The, we could spend decades talking about toxic fandoms, but uh, Mark, you want to go first or you want me to go first? It doesn't matter to me, brother. What do you want? Uh, Why don't you go first? I've been talking a lot. All right. Well, the first
1: one I picked is uh, Family Guy,
0: the cartoon. Mm.
1: And this is interesting because this isn't necessarily a media I like. And now as everybody just shouts at their mobile phones, aha, well, of course. No, but at the same time, I don't dislike it. Uh, The only reason why I stopped watching it was, it was cancelled twice, which everybody seems to forget in the grand narrative. <laughs> but it originally was pitched as a sketch, recurring sketch on one of my favorite TV shows that we, you know if we ever do uh, overs and unders for TV shows, I may talk about Mad TV, which was Fox's answer to Saturday Night Live in the 90's. I was a total mad TV fanboy. yep. And uh, originally Family Guy was going to be on there. It didn't get picked up there, of course. But it was the brainchild of Seth MacFarlane. And now, DJ, I'm going to put you on the spot here. We didn't go over this in our little pre-recording discussion. But do you know off the top of your head what Seth MacFarlane's first cartoon was?
0: Uh, I know that he worked for Hanna-Barbera back in the day. He did. And he was the brainchild behind
1: Johnny Bravo. Oh, I
0: was going to say Pinky the Brain. Okay, Johnny Bravo. Yep.
1: Which I adored as a child because, of course, you know, he's an egomaniac, much like myself. And we all look for validation in different places. Uh, So he started Family Guy. It premiered, (coughs) excuse me, January 31st, 1999, which was also the Super Bowls. Fox gave it the big Super Bowl time slot. I remember watching that episode. And the first seasons were pretty good because they were pretty radical. And, you know, you had a talking dog, you had a baby that wanted to take over the world, you had a relatively mainstream show with over-the-top ridiculous New England accents. And I enjoyed it, I was still living at home at the time, we didn't have cable TV, so it was something to watch on Sundays, and it was sandwiched between The Simpsons, which I was still watching at the time, and one of my all-time favorite TV shows that we were just talking about today, The Mm X-Files. (laughs) Ah, (laughs) yes. Family Guy was the lead-in for The X-Files, which I never, ever, ever missed. But then, you know, after two seasons, it got canceled. Mm -hmm. Okay, everybody's very sad. Took another year off, and then it was picked up again for a third season in 2003. And then it was canceled again immediately after the third season, and it wasn't picked up again until 2006, mostly due to DVD sales and Cartoon Network ratings, at Old Swim ratings. And for me, this is where the problem began because once they brought it back, Seth MacFarlane, to his credit, he was right about this, but he was smart enough to realize that basically he had all the leverage. Oh, yeah. So the show, I'm not going to say it went downhill because, you know, the, the ratings were still good, people were still watching it, but it went way off track. It was totally different from what it was. Uh, Brian became a total author avatar. Stewie went from being an evil genius to becoming, you know, uh, someone dabbling in cross-dressing and, you know, sort of trying to find himself and, you know, playing with some transsexual vibes, not always, you know, LGBT friendly or not, depending on the episode. Yeah. Which is nothing wrong with that in of itself, but it was a total 180 degree change with no explanation given. It,
0: it was, yeah. I mean, it was a complete flip to go from something, like, I mean, what you had in, like, season one and two, where he, like, murders his mother. Yes. And then like, gleefully. Gleefully, yeah. And, I mean, it was an interesting arc, but, I mean, for him to go full, you know, for, full circle and end up being kind of this goofy, like, transgender character who would you know, uh crossdress and uh hit on Brian and was kind of maybe sort of gay, but not really. Like it was more of like a gender thing and then it wasn't. It was it was kind of a weird and, and to be fair, this is when I got on board with Family Guy because I missed like I went back and watched the original seasons. But right. I was getting on board when I was, you know, in college, which was, you know, two thousand five. Right. So yeah, I was. That's when I was getting on board. And I was like, oh, this is pretty funny. And I mean, you know, that's where we got the Star Wars episodes. Yes, we got the Star Wars episodes. Um,
1: but then you, this is when the fan base really started to split because if you had anyone uh, who was more for the early things and just said, you know, eh, it's not my cup of tea. It's not whatever well, you were chastised. This this is the true vision. This is what the show was always supposed to be. Well, there's no real evidence of that. Now, in the interest of fairness, there were a lot of people on my side of the fence that were just as toxic saying, you know, this is bullshit. This is just a Simpsons clone. You ruined the show, yada, yada, yada. And that's not productive either. So uh, th- there are no winners here. This is a heel-heel program, if we can go back to wrestling parlance. Yeah. The thing that annoyed me, though is it just, McFarlane got this reputation as a creative god because of this. So you started to have all these spinoffs. And American Dad was kind of funny, although it was pretty samey. It was just, you know, different names, and there was an alien instead of a dog. But it was pretty much the same show. Then you had the freaking Cleveland show, like the Sea teamers were getting their own spinoffs. And at one point, I think he had two hours, two and a half hours on Sunday night. And that was when I started to tune out of Fox. Even the shows I liked, like Box Burgers and everything, it was like, I can't. I'm just, I'm done. I don't, you know, I don't like it. And it's a lot of cutaway gags. It's a lot of toilet humor. It's a lot of, uh, a lot less of the story. Say what you want about the early seasons of Family Guy. They, they had consistent plots. <laughs> they had overarching narratives. And you know the last couple seasons that I watched, I I didn't wasn't really picking up on that. So that that was about when I tuned out. Uh, but it's still going. It's it was just renewed for its 19th season, which makes me feel old. Yeah. But it was just renewed for its 19th season, so there is still a market uh, for it. Just you know, don't don't be assholes about it on your message board. It's of choice.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I still uh, I think. Uh the the only three episodes of TV shows that I kept on my, my phone, because I bought them on iTunes way back in the day. Now uh, you're old. Yeah, exactly. Were the three Star Wars episodes because I love them and I love Star Wars. Before we move on to my first one, Mark, do you know what my favorite thing that Seth MacFarlane has ever put out is?
1: Oh, it's that Spacey
0: show you're always trying to get me to watch. Well, that's pretty good, but no, that's not it. Is it that bad western he put out? No, but I like that one too.
1: See, I didn't enjoy that one. Okay, I don't know what it is. What is it?
0: In two thousand and eleven, he put out a jazz album in like, in in the style of uh, like Fred Astaire or you know that kind of era, right? Rat Pack stuff. Yeah, uh, and it's called "Music Is Better Than Words." Now, see, that I might have to look up. That I might give a listen to. Yeah, it. I highly recommend it. We're not really doing our favorite music for this episode, but that is just. Uh, it's classic, like, snap your fingers, just kind of sit there, read a book, listen to it. it. its It sets a great tone. And I thought when I first got it that it was just going to be, like, a bunch of button dick jokes. And it's not. That's what I would have thought. Like, <laughs> it's literally, like, that classic kind of. I can't think of the guy's name. Who who did New York, New York? Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. And yeah, thank you. <laughs> guys, I'm like a glass of whiskey in. Leave me alone. But it's very like... Be
1: kind to him on the message boards, folks. Yeah.
0: Be kind. It's very Frank Sinatra. And I love Frank Sinatra, even when I can't remember his name. But yeah, no, the album is called Music is Better Than Words. Very good.
1: All right, I'll have to check that out.
0: So my, All right, what are you starting <laughs> off with? I'm going to start off with Star Wars. Oh, we're going big first. We're going big. We're going big. Because my last one, I'm going to try to end on a positive note. So uh, Star Wars is my first great science fiction love. I was there for all of it. I mean, I was not alive when the first three movies got produced, but, uh, you know, my dad and I used to do movie nights on Wednesday. Shout out, dad, for getting me into nerd culture. It's all your fault. But we would hang out on Wednesday nights and we would watch our Holy Trinities. It would be the original Star Wars trilogy, uh, Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, uh, sporadic episodes of uh, TNG, uh, all the nerdy stuff. Everything was great. And I loved it. It It was space wizards with laser swords. That's all I ever wanted in a movie was space wizards and laser swords. That's a terrifyingly apt plot synopsis. Right? It is. And so when the opportunity came for me to be able to see a new Star Wars movie in the theaters, holy crap, guys. Phantom Menace. I was there for it. I can't tell you how many hours I put into that pod racing game. Mark can probably say the same. I
1: still have it. I bought the remake on the PS4. I still play it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so did I. I. It's so good. It was the first time that I ever encountered fans of the show who were in my like social circles who just didn't want to fucking like anything. And I hated it because I just was there for I, like it's Star Wars, guys. We're not talking Socrates. We're not debating moral philosophy. It's space wizards with laser swords. And that's all I wanted out of it. I really enjoyed the special effects. I really enjoyed the characters, even though they were kind of derpy at times. And the same was true when I got into the uh, prequel trilogy. I loved the prequel trilogy. And everybody around me fucking hated it. And I was like, oh... Uh, wait, what? We're not allowed to like Star Wars? We have to have something negative to say about it? And this was the first experience I ever had with this idea of toxic fandoms. And holy crap, did it only get worse when we got to the sequel trilogies fairly recently. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, here's my hot take, boys and girls. Uh, unless it's the Star Wars Christmas special, I love everything about Star Wars. Uh, I have read what is now considered Legends. I've read a bunch of that stuff. I've read Heir to the Jedi. I understand the rule of two. I collect weird Star Wars books. Uh, I know what my color lightsaber is. Yellow. Yo, what's up? And I, I just love it. It's one of my great fandoms. Uh, you know, I, I, all of my friends and I used to collect all of the action figures and the planes and stuff when we were kids, I've never stopped liking Star Wars, and it has become increasingly difficult to talk about my love of Star Wars as I have gotten older, because everybody's got something negative to say about it. On And, and this is kind of one of those rare cases where the people who like Star Wars Don't fucking talk about it. So there isn't really two sides of this conversation most of the time. It's just a bunch of nerds on message boards arguing back and forth about which part of Star Wars was worse. Yeah. And that makes it like a really negative thing to be into. What do you think of Star Wars, man? I, I really
1: I used to like it. I used to love it. Um, you know, I again I wasn't uh, born when the originals came out, but I remember my mother. My father, of course, the old man. You know, he hate he hates Star Wars. So my mother took me to see the special edition movies in the theaters. Uh, still have the VHSs some somewhere. I played the collectible card game. I was very big into the collectible card game. <laughs> Love the books, and I refuse to call them legends. It's the expanded universe. Disney can fuck off. <laughs> yeah. I probably have 50 of the books, maybe, 45, 50. The sequel trilogy
0: was what it was. I I am perfectly capable, and we sh- we're we probably going to do an episode on Star Wars, folks, so buckle up, but I am completely accepting that there might be problems with the sequel trilogy, Oh, that's, I, I, did I say, I'm sorry. I meant prequel. I, I have
1: yet to see the last. Oh, okay. I meant the prequels. So, my, my
0: fault. My, that was my fault. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you one, one hot take before we go to your second one. All right. Hit me. My hot take with Star Wars is that Jar Jar Binks and the Phantom Menace is no worse than C-3PO was in A New Hope. The only difference is that C-3PO had a comedic foil in R2-D2, and Jar Jar did not.
1: I mean, to me, that's not really that big of a hot take. But I, as a child, I remember going with... Did I say child? God, I don't remember how old I was when The Phantom Menace came out. Was that 99, 2000? So I was, what, 14, 15? I remember a bunch 99. of us going... 99, okay. So I remember a bunch of us going to the theaters and sitting there Jar Jar didn't bother us. All the CGI didn't bother us, at least initially. You know, that didn't tell you you, know, you go on AOL still at the time, and people were complaining about that. Of course, pod racing was cool. Uh, Darth Maul was cool, the little bit that he was on there. The thing that bothered us, sitting there as teenagers, was that you can boil the entire plot of the first movie down to a trade war. Oh, of course. That's boring as shit. <laughs> <laughs> like... That's the best thing you have to launch this nine film, you know, multi-billion dollar, probably multi-trillion dollar now franchise
0: is a trade war. (laughs) Sure. But you, like, we have to acknowledge the fact that Star Wars has always been an entity at war with itself, right? Like, science fiction is very much known for its political intrigue and its... Like deep roots in in science and trying to figure out what's going to happen in the future. And yet, there's always kind of this fantastic element to it, right? So, you've got things like on one end of the spectrum, you've got Star Trek, you've got Dune, things that are very heavily invested in the world. It's very serious. And on the other end, you got Star Wars, that's again, space ninjas and laser swords, and you got Doctor Who where everything is a sonic screwdriver and wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. And Star Wars tries to take itself seriously quite often, and those of us like you and I who are used to reading that kind of stuff in the extended universe, we're used to seeing the serious stuff. But yeah, it's a little jarring in the movies when previously it was like, a dude with daddy problems and then you get into the prequel trilogy and it's a trade war.
1: Yeah. I I just, you know, I remember all of us leaving and we're like, was that all about an embargo? And it's like, yeah, I I think it was. (laughs) And that, you know, but I didn't think the Phantom Menace was as bad as everybody says it was. Um, You know, attack of the clones was probably worse than everybody says it was. (laughs) That was a, that was a bad movie. Uh, Revenge of the Sith was alright I didn't hate that So you know I mean And and like anything else you know as a historian I know you know in hindsight things look better than they were Except for Attack of the Clones (laughs) Um, But you know The big thing that that Quote unquote ruins Star Wars for me And I'll become the toxic fandom here And I freely admit it Is you know making the EU Making the expanded universe non-canon Making it quote unquote legends uh, with one stroke of the pen, Disney just, you know, killed any enjoyment I had of the series. Which and is thing We're going to talk about on my second, my second one. Uh, being canon is very important.
0: <laughs> All right. Let's, let's get into your second one because I, I can see a storm brewing.
1: All right. My second one, and this is going to be my hot take. So, you know, get ready, folks. Buckle up. I'll give you a little trigger warning here. We're going to get playfully gatekeeping here. All right, is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, I want to come out on the top and say they're fine. They're they're you know good pieces of film with one exception. They introduced the characters and the stories to an entire new generation. Uh, You know, on the Marvel side, they led to the disney purchase of marvel which is probably going to save the company and keep it from going the way of dc Uh, it's an absolute good with one huge glaring negative exception which is where the fan base comes in Mm. i want you all to turn up your the volume on your headphones now and listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth they are not canon (laughs) say it louder for the people in the back I can't tell you how infuriating it is to have people try to explain the story of Iron Man or the story of the Infinity Gauntlet to me when they only know it from the movies and they don't understand why I'm quote-unquote confused. (laughs) Marvel Comics as an entity goes back to the early 1960s. However, their stories... And a lot of their derivatives goes back to the Atlas days, 1930s, pre-World War II. This is not something that just started with Robert Downey Jr. and Iron Man 1.
0: I'm sitting here chuckling (laughs) in the background, listeners, because this is an argument that Mark and I have had many, 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 many times. We don't have
1: time to go into all <laughs> the things that are quote-unquote wrong, canon-wise. Canon-wise, not saying wrong from a movie point of view, but wrong canon-wise. Oh, no,
0: and and we'll we'll expand on this. We're defo going to talk about comics, but, uh, I mean, Mark and I are both huge comic fans. It's very important to us. And this isn't just a problem of, you know, Marvel
1: and their source material. This is leeching out. There was an article... Well, I guess it's about a year ago now. It feels like 10 years ago because 2020 is, you know, never ending hellscape. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was an article out talking about the HBO Watchmen series. And they were interviewing whoever it is that's directing it. And, he, and they asked him point blank, Do you consider the comics, the graphic novels, canon? And he had to pause for a second and say, You know, I think I do. <laughs> the source material. To the show that he was producing, he had to think about whether or not that was canon.
0: Now, to kind of rub that vein a little bit that's bl- blinking in Mark's forehead, we do have to acknowledge here, though, Mark, that comic books and the idea of canon are loose within themselves at best. They are. I but mean, it's always been playfully
1: acknowledged. It's never been a legitimate struggle. If nothing else, it's sort of you know the comedic death. It's sort of the joke. Uh, that was one of the things that was funny with that Captain America series a few years ago, that, that alt-world series when he joins HYDRA was at the end, of the, epi- the end of that issue, they basically said, yeah, this is all going to be undone in a few months. Just keep reading to see how we do it. Yeah, just, just enjoy <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's always sort of just been played with. They sort of give you a wink and a nod. Now it's a legitimate discussion. And it's not just a legitimate discussion as to uh, canonicity issues. It's a legitimate discussion as to, well, legitimacy. Uh, if your movies aren't good, then your comics aren't good. Look at the Fantastic Four.
0: <laughs>
1: the Fantastic Four was one of the Marvel series as a kid that I used to enjoy. I mean, The Thing, you know, Flame On, all that stuff, it's a great reading.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, now people, it, it's a joke to people because of the movies, not because of anything in the comics.
0: It is. The Marvel Comics has had to go way out into left field to make, you know, when yes. they went with like Future Foundation and, and uh, what they did with, the Incredible uh, with Mr. Fantastic. Yes, Mr. Fantastic. Mr. Fantastic. Uh, you know, I always say Fantastic and Incredible, but what they did with Mr. Fantastic in Secret Wars, like they had to go way out of line oh, yeah. of, of canon there. And I mean, we don't need to talk about the death and return of Superman, do we? No, no. I, I was just going to,
1: picking up from the legitimacy angle, you know. Uh, There's a very real chance that by January 1st, DC Comics, as we know it, will cease to exist. Oh, sure. And, uh, you know, that's just the truth. And, uh, you know, it's no secret I prefer DC to Marvel. I enjoy some Marvel titles, but as comic books go, I prefer DC to Marvel. And uh, some of their modern stuff has missed, I'll, I'll admit. But overall, their writing is still very good. Overall, their stories are pretty decent. The thing that has killed them has been their media, especially their movies, although Gotham got off the rails really hardcore, and I wanted that to be so much better than it was. <laughs> but because of that, because the movies are very, very bad, and no one here is going to defend any of the DC movies, uh, you know, the entire franchise, the entire structure is now delegitimized, and there's a ve- very real chance that within six months... There'll be no Superman, which has been around since the 30s. There'll be no Batman, which has been around since the 30s. I mean, yes, the licenses will still exist, but there won't be comics anymore. And that's a very terrifying thought because it really has nothing to do with the comics themselves. It has more to do with this overarching you know, multimedia fandom arguing over you know, what's canon and what's not and why are the movies different than the comics.
0: Yeah, I feel you, buddy. But we'll talk about comics soon and just air it all out. But damn it, go and buy
1: comics. I don't even care if they're DC. Go buy Marvel comics. Support comics and support your local
0: comic book store. Oh yeah, Stop just watching movies. The latest runs of Miss Marvel are fantastic, guys. Go read them.
1: Uh, the The new Batman Superman crossover. Uh, where they fight evil Shazam is fantastic. It oh.
0: sounds stupid, I admit, but trust me on this. It's very good and it's not for kids. Also, if you want some good DC, read Super Sons. That shit's fantastic.
1: You know. Well, this is really getting off topic and you might actually want to cut this, but instead of that Animaniacs comic, I almost sent you the variant cover of number one of Super Sons. <laughs> I, I found a copy with the variant where Lex has like both of them by the collar and it's just giving them a disapproving look. <laughs> and I almost sent you that. Amazing. All right. But all right. I'm, I'm pissed off enough for, for today. What's your second
0: one? I'm going to up again because my second one's Rick and Morty. God Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Rick and Morty, Rick and Morty, Rick and Morty. It's, it, it's made by Dan Harmon and voiced by Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland. It's it's a good show. It's not it is. In let me let, let me specify yeah. that
1: too. I also agree with this.
0: I I'm not going to go out of my way and say it's great. I think it's hard to watch at times, but I think it's a, a solidly good show. The the premise is it's a it's kind of a satire of Back to the Future. Uh, they there's, you know, two characters, Rick and Morty Sanchez, and Rick uh, is the grandfather, Morty's the grandson, and there's, you know, they've got a little nuclear family there too. And Rick is highly intelligent and has figured out how to like travel between dimensions and shit. And he and Morty go on vacations and adventures and get into trouble. And there's all sorts of crazy shit that happens. And it's kind of meant to be. This, like, noir fantasy, right? It's meant to be comedic and darkly humorous. They they pick up uh, horrific plot lines and just drop them mid-episode. And it's, it's really kind of an interesting show. Like, Rick doesn't give a shit about anything. Nothing really matters to him. And, you know, he tears the family apart and, uh, like, breaks dimensions and just gets drunk and passes out. And I I, I I don't normally read quotes in the show, but I I wanted to actually figure out like what Dan Harmon meant when he read, when he started writing Rick and Morty because I feel like that's kind of important to understand why these fucking fans are so terrible. And uh, Dan Harmon was quoted, and I don't have the article in handy, but he was quoted with saying that you know his drive behind you know making Rick a character and kind of per, what he wanted to portray in the show is that, The knowledge that nothing matters while accurate gets you nowhere. Once you get through that terrifying threshold of accepting that, then every place is the center of the universe and every moment is the most important moment and everything is the meaning of life. Which I think is really clever and really interesting and definitely kind of gets at the core of what Rick and Morty is over the course of the show. Yeah. And that's a really cool message I can't tell you how many times I've been told that I'm an idiot because I couldn't possibly understand a bootstrap paradox. The Rick and Morty fans celebrate Rick, think he's a nihilistic piece of shit, and they identify with him. They don't really get what the deeper emotive message is because none of them have EQ to begin with. And they just yell at everybody. Nobody is smart enough to understand the show. I have a neck beard and I know what I'm talking about. And that gets really fucking shitty. It got shitty enough that I'm only now returning to Rick and Morty after I finished season two. And they're, what, like season four, season five at this point?
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: Uh, I do like Rick and Morty. I think it's a really interesting show that gets hard to watch sometimes. But it gets harder to watch when I can't talk about it with people that I like without being told that I am an idiot online from people who I don't know so uh, it's one of those fandoms that just it's gotten weirdly caught up with like the red pillar I'm a nice guy and wear a fedora like incel movement online uh, and I don't really get it I've never really gotten it. It's not my crowd. I'm, you know, whenever I talk about toxic fandoms, I'm always coming from the perspective of, can we please just like something? Please. Uh, No, not allowed. And it's hilarious to me that everything we've talked about so far, with the exception of maybe Family Guy, is hyper nerdy. And oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know about y'all, but when I was young and a nerd and had no friends, I would have loved for somebody to agree with me on something, <laughs> literally anything. And it's kind of this weird, like, culture of these, you know, 20, 30, 40 year old nerds who grew up with nothing. And now they're like, well, my entire identity is defined by what I don't like. Um, Rick and Morty's fine, guys. Go check it out. You, if you can understand the first Back to the Future movie, you'll get ninety percent of the science in it. You're fine. Don't worry about it.
1: You, you covered all the high spots there. I will just say this: Rick and Morty, as you said, it's a good show. I, I I don't hate it. I enjoy it, but it's one of those shows I don't go out of my way to watch. If it's on, you know, if I know it's coming on, okay, I'll sit down. I'll watch it, you know. But I'm not setting a DVR. I'm not doing anything like that for it. But Rick and Morty is probably the only piece of fiction, the only piece of media of any type that, uh, until this very podcast episode, I would never admit to another living soul to watch. Oh,
0: a hundred percent. Because
1: the the fandom is so bad, it is embarrassing to admit. Yeah, that I'm you a- watch Rick and Morty.
0: I'm actually really glad that we turned off the comment section on the website. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this, I mean. I, we
1: did a whole episode about it. I love pro wrestling. I watch NASCAR. I'll talk about those openly.
0: I will not admit to another soul that I watch Rick and Morty. Oh, no, I never talk about it. When it's brought up in conversation, I try to change the subject because I know yeah. what's coming. So that should tell you all you need to know about that. So what's your last one, Mark?
1: My last one is not necessarily media per se. It is a lifestyle. It is a hobby choice and the assholes who partake in it. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to talk now about cigars and what I refer to as the cigar bro. I like cigars, I enjoy a good cigar a cigar when you're chatting with your friends with a nice glass of whiskey or brandy or bourbon or whatever your libation of choice is, it's a good time. I'm having a cigar now as I speak to you all. But while I love cigars, I hate cigar smokers. (laughs) Yeah. And the reason for that is, you know, most of them try to put off this image of, you know, Male models in suits that are ripped off the cover of GQ, smoking $30 sticks, and, you know, just looking down their nose on you. And really, for the most part, that's not what it is. I mean, yes, cigars, compared to other forms of tobacco, are expensive. But trust me, I can afford to smoke fairly regularly on a historian's salary. So, you know, if you're into it, you can smoke cigars. Most of the time, it's just, you know, fat guys like me that are too loud, that enjoy whiskey and have too many, you know, tacky ties. That's what 90% of the cigar smokers are. (laughs) But when you go to a cigar store, when you go to a brick and mortar store or you go to a cigar lounge and you sit down, you know, you buy your cigars and you go and you sit down in the back and you light up. There's always at least one or two of these fucking assholes. And they're going to come up to you, and they're going to want to know what you're smoking. And they're not trying to be friendly. They're not trying to be polite. They're not trying to introduce you into their own little social circle. It's so that when they discover that it isn't what they're smoking, which it never will be, and, you know, that doesn't matter, uh, they're just going to shit all over it, right in your face. (laughs) Oh, I can't believe you smoke punches. Or I can't believe you smoke Macanudo's. You know, you should only smoke this. You can only smoke that. Now, there's nothing wrong with, you know, if you ask somebody what they smoke and you try to give them suggestions based on that. You know, oh, if you like Romeo and Juliet's, why don't you try a CAO or something like that? That's fine. Likewise, there's nothing wrong with if We go out as a group of individuals and we rag on each other's choices.
0: That's usual ball busting shit. I I am going to inject here and say, if you try to recommend anybody, anything out of the blue at a place where you do not know them, you are a dick and I hate you. Yes. If you are the person behind the counter at a bar I will talk to you endlessly. I will listen to your your recommendations. You are an expert. If you are next to me on a bar stool and I don't know you, shut the fuck up and don't listen to me. Amen. Yeah.
1: Likewise, if you have a cigar... Do you want to leave the band on? Leave it on. If you want to take the band off, take it off. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> that is the dumbest argument. It is the stupidest question because no matter what your answer to that question is on or off, you are considered wrong by 50% of the population. And I have never understood that. It doesn't matter. It's literally a piece of paper. They have started to have to modify the design of packaging of cigars and put the band at the end to force people to take it off because it's such a big deal to some people. I don't fucking understand.
0: Oh, my God. Just let people enjoy things.
1: Yes. Let them enjoy cigars. Because this is another thing in the next 20 years we ain't going to be able to do with all the you know government oversight and everything that's coming in. So you should be thankful that people want to come in and want to smoke cigars. So just shut up and let people enjoy them. And don't read cigar aficionado unless you're reading the reviews. The reviews can be helpful, but don't read any of the articles.
0: Oh my god, just Google shit. You don't need a magazine. I just get a magazine called *The Bibe* because it has a really funky feel to it. I don't. I never am ever going to brag about reading a magazine. No. Yeah,
1: I don't care that you know you've been a subscriber for how many years. Nobody cares. No, nope. you know, let me sit here.
0: Nobody cares about your your yacht or your wood chop or your taste in cigars. Just go away.
1: That's my last rant, you know, about something that's near and dear to my
0: heart. You know, don't don't ruin cigars. Just just don't. <laughs> we should probably do like an episode on social niceties at some point. I think that would be really interesting. Yes. All right, hit me with your last one. All right, you ready for this one? Drop a bomb on me, brother. All right, I am also going with a culture fandom rather than a piece of media, Uh, but it's a culture fandom around a media genre, and we've actually talked about this media genre, and that is the cosplay and weeb culture around anime. Ah, yes, this is... yeah. this is another... You might get as as fired up as I was on this one. Oh, I will. All All right, so this is really tied up with... Uh, going to conventions of any kind. It could be an anime convention, a Star Trek convention, a comic book convention. I don't give a shit what your fandom is. There's a convention for it. Fuck they are gun conventions.
1: It, it doesn't matter. It was a matter. payday
0: convention for a number of years. Exactly. That's a fact. Look it up. <laughs> and it doesn't matter what your fandom is. There's probably a gathering place for this fandom. There are woodworking conventions. There are... are I mean, they're they're called car shows, but they're car conventions. We all know what they are.
1: Well, there are. There, yeah, the, the, the New York Auto Show, the Geneva Auto Show. I mean, the, the, like you
0: said, they call them shows, but they
1: are massive industry conventions.
0: Yeah. So uh, I'm going to shorten it to con because that's what we do. It's con culture. And what I'm talking about is specifically two pieces of con culture. Part of it is the cosplay, and part of it is kind of the the hyper unsocial aware rabid fans that quote-unquote ruin it for the rest of us. (laughs) I'm going to back that up a little bit. But let's talk about cosplay first, uh, because that's a relatively easy one to talk about. Cosplay is a lot of fun to do. You, You know, it's one step past dressing up for Halloween, and it's a few steps before you actually get to LARPing. You dress up as a character that you really love from a show. You might buy your costume, you might work on your own costume, you might piece it together from a hoodie and a pair of pants you have in your bureau, whatever it is. You're dressing up as a character, you take pictures with people at cons. It's a ton of fun. It's so much fun that if anybody is curious about going to conventions and is terrified of cosplay, I highly recommend you do it on your second con. Don't do it on your first. Get used to what you know being at a con is like, but do it on your second one. It's so much fun. My first cosplay ever was from the show Naruto. I bought a costume online, I painted my face, I tied a ninja band and balanced a dog on my head, and it was so much fun. I, I had people running up and asking me for pictures, and my cosplay wasn't all that good, folks. And it was great. It, it was, I was able to explore a side of a convention that I had never done before, and it was a really safe way for me, who has a lot of social anxieties, to get out there and experience what it was like to be part of a community. But there's also a really shitty side of cosplay, and that is there's kind of this quote-unquote elite side of cosplay where there are people who make it their career. You know, they uh, make their own costumes, they get sponsored, they do cosplay tutorials, they go out for photo meets, and... Some of those people are super nice, and some of those people are the shittiest human beings in the world. They shit on people's cosplay, they tell you there's only one way to do it, they body shame people. It's a nasty side of con culture. There are definitely cosplay that I would love to do, and I have not done because I know that cosplay culture can get kinda shitty and I'm starting to get a little bit more used to it and thinking about doing it in the near future. But you know, the idea of like guys cosplaying girls or vice versa, a lot of shaming in that area. There's a lot of outspeak right now against that sort of thing in cons, which has been really, really nice recently. You know, a lot of like, you know, large people cosplaying skinny people or vice versa, you know, small guys or, or girls cosplaying big characters or vice versa. And, and, the idea is that cosplay is not all one shape. Cosplay is not consent. Like just because you are cosplaying a character does not mean you are inviting people to criticize you and just keep it louder for the people in the back. Yeah, exactly. Cosplay is not consent guys. And that kind of leads us into the other side of con culture. And that is, uh, specifically in the cons that I'm talking about, comic book conventions, Star Trek conventions, anime conventions. We're not, the most social people in the world we are not movers and shakers most of the time you're not going to find us on pundit circuits or leading companies as CEOs, some people sure but most of us I feel very secure in saying this because I identify with this are kind of introverted and socially awkward and uh, a lot of us get better over time, which is good but when we're young, we can be kind of obnoxious and some of us don't grow out of it. Some of us don't learn social cues. And that's where we kind of get into like weeb culture. Uh, I, I have some friends who this side of con culture has ruined it for them. They don't go to conventions anymore. And it, there's there's just the rabid fan base that doesn't have regard for other people's personal spaces or just kind of gets so crazy into something that it, it makes you take a step back and go, maybe I don't need to be into this right now. Yeah. And uh, Mark, you can probably guess at the first one here. It started with when we were like middle school, high school with Inuyasha. Yeah... Uh, Now, that being said, anime cons have been going on for a long time. There was probably something pre-Inuyasha that everybody was into. When I first got into anime, the one I didn't touch was Inuyasha because woof. Yeah, I, I second all of that. Yeah, and then that kind of evolved into all of the kids running around ninja headbands because of Naruto or every other cosplayer having a straw hat from One Piece Uh, being super into those shows. There was a short stint after Naruto, One Piece, you know, Bleach to a slightly lesser degree uh, where everybody was into Hitalia and then everybody was into Attack on Titan and then everybody was into Homestuck and Undertale. Now they're kind of all into My Hero Academia. And it's, it's kind of, it's a bit of the opposite of what Mark and I have been talking about where the fans aren't, really shitting on it they're so far into it that you can't talk to them about it like it's just so much i remember there was one year that my wife and i were cosplaying as two characters we really liked from naruto and one of these like younger rabid fans ran up and spent the next four hours popping up around us at the con, confessing his love to my wife and then running away. And <laughs> I was not. That's not funny. I'm not. I'm not I, laughing. I, at no, the no. Situation, I, I was. I but, was fine <laughs> with it the first like two or three times. After the fortieth time of him like following it, it was creepy, guys. I mean, this is where we get into things like new con rules, right? Uh, those of us who might be socially awkward or might have some disabilities with learning or whatnot might need reminders at conventions which is why uh, most video game and anime conventions have implemented the I, I've heard it I've heard it the three two one the six two one and the eight two one rule yeah where the six two one is usually the average and six the six two one rule is every day at the con you must get, at least six hours of sleep, two meals, and one shower. And uh, Mark can attest to this. Some people don't get that. To be fair, when I con, I often don't get the two meals part. But
1: damn it, I, I get pretty close to six hours because I get cranky. All I always take a me. shower, and I
0: always take a shower because I'm a big dude, and you don't you don't want me to to not shower. Yeah, but it's also where we've gotten like. Uh, When I first went to Anime Boston back in 2010, the rule book was pretty slim. There's a lot of rules now. Like, um, Yeah. (laughs) uh, Mark, do you remember glomping? Oh, God. (laughs) Uh, So my first year at Anime Boston was the last year that Anime Boston didn't have a rule in the books about glomping. And I watched a, like, 80-pound soaking wet girl tackle a giant teddy bear to the ground and just start screaming. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Glomping, for those of you playing the home game, is when you get so excited that you run at someone or something and you tackle them with a hug to the ground. That's not allowed anymore. There's a specific rule about it because of this exact thing we're talking about. See, glomping did actually
1: start off... Sort of innocent. Um, I can remember the first convention I ever cosplayed at was Otacon a number of years ago mm-hmm. out in Baltimore. And I went as Super Mario because nice. I'm a fat Italian. <laughs> and the costume was pretty easy and it, it worked out relatively well. I mean, it, it was far from the best Mario that was there, but it was pretty decent. And there was a young lady there who had a fantastic peach cosplay. And, you know, at some point in the main lobby, we got hooked up and we had some pictures and whatnot. And we discussed and arranged. And that's the key phrase here. (laughs) We discussed and arranged a sort of uh, pseudo-glob where... You know, of course, because I was like three times her size. I wasn't going to run over and spear her. (laughs) But I went full speed, picked her up, and firemen's carried her through the lobby, screaming, I won. (laughs) And that actually got over pretty well. Yeah. And that was sort of the origins of glomping when it was a little bit more innocent. But then, you know, you started to get into, you know not asking for consent and, you know, much more physical and, you know, sudden and sporadic attacks, essentially. And that killed what was a fun thing, but in hindsight, I mean,
0: we all should have kind of seen it coming, if we're being brutally honest. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it was something that was in, it's in anime all the time, right? A character tackling another one, happy to see them. It goes with an over-the-top media genre very well, but when you throw people like scud missiles at other people, people get hurt, fall downstairs, there are injuries, like, there's insurance things that you don't have to contemplate inside of an anime show. So, um, you know, that stuff kind of got off the board. And, I mean, cosplay is not consent is a huge thing. Like, you know, we talked about it in cosplay culture, but it's also, like... It's a big thing now. You don't take pictures of cosplayers without asking for their permission. You you can't go up and touch them. I mean, we talked about this in the tattoo episode. Like, just because somebody has tattoos, they're not inviting you to touch them. It's the same thing with cosplay. Just because somebody might cosplaying a character that you love does not mean that you have the right to run up to them and attack them. No. I, I want to end it on a good note, though. Because... Things like weeb culture in the anime and the con scene, while it might be day-to-day kind of obnoxious, it might kind of gatekeep in its own way some shows, right? Like, I I know My Hero Academia is a great show. I haven't gotten into it because I don't want to talk to anybody about it. <laughs> And talk to Dave. Dave. You can talk to Dave about it. Here. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Dave. He's always been great. We love you, Dave. But when it comes to to anime, I mean, we're talking about a niche media, a niche culture, a niche uh, fandom here. And as much as I might find that r- extreme fan and uh, whatever you want to call it, wee- weeaboos or otakus or whatever you want to call it. As much as I might find that a little off-putting at times, uh, we owe a lot to Western otaku culture. Because without people being that loud of a fan, we don't get manga and anime over here. I mean, it's done a huge amount to uh, signal boost anime, manga, Eastern Asian pop music. Like, there's a, there's been kind of a cultural revolution going on for the last couple of decades of like bringing all of these things over from uh, Japan and Korea and China to the degree that when my wife went to study abroad in Japan back, you know, almost 10, uh, over 10 years ago now, she got super into their music and found this band named Arashi that she really, really liked But then found out that when she got back here, she couldn't find them anywhere. Like, Arashi was not outside of Japan. They were super popular over there. Couldn't find them over here. And just like a month ago, I was able to send her like a little uh, trailer video that Arashi was finally releasing music in America. Like, we were gonna get their next album. And a lot of that is due to the fact that, like, we've got fan bases calling out for more of this stuff. Look at what happened with BTS recently. Uh the BTS fandom, I wouldn't actually compare them at all to kind of this con culture fandom because they've done amazing things. I mean, we've got K-pop mainstream in America. Like <laughs> the little anime nerds that Mark and I were back in high school never would have imagined that we would have our fandoms would have been celebrated this much. So it it does kind of. I want to kind of just close it out with like, hey, it it might be annoying at times, but you know I celebrate a, a positive fandom like you know K-pop or or anime because that means I get to read more of it and watch more of it over here. Yeah, I mean we we can't stress that enough,
1: and we the time frame too. I mean you know I, I'm a historian. I'm used to studying you know several hundred years at a chunk. So, fifteen years, twenty years is is literally a snap of the fingers to me. But I can remember uh, going to school, going to college, and you know, going on some pretty seedy sites uh, to pirate anime shows that I had heard about, and they were all fan done subtitles. Oh yeah, and some were better and some were worse, but that was the only way to get the material. You, could, you couldn't you could go and, and get the DVDs. I mean, I remember watching Grenadier, which was this goofy little, you know, girls with guns anime, my sophomore, junior year of college. And it was several years after that that I found the DVDs at Anime USA, and I remember just losing my mind. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, they finally came over, talking to the guys, like, they finally came over to America, they finally did. But, you know, I mean, Grenadier, uh, Death Note, even, you know, which is such a cornerstone of hot topic culture now Mm -hmm. you couldn't find that anywhere i mean if you wanted anything from that you were ordering them uh, from sites in hong kong and it was 50 50 if they'd even make it through customs (laughs) much less you know actually be a a good sub so uh, yeah there has definitely been a movement to sort of mainstream this which has been uh, wonderful, all toxicity aside.
0: So sometimes you have to
1: take the bad with the good, but you know, everything in moderation, guys.
0: Oh, yeah. I celebrate otaku culture in, in America, um, but personal space, guys. Personal space.
1: All right. Well, that's this week's episode. We want to thank you all for listening. Subscribe to us. Follow us on your preferred media platform of choice. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, uh, a good chunk of our episodes are on Podbean, we're working on getting on Google Podcasts, we're still on our website, so follow us on all your various social uh, uh, podcast platforms, follow us on all your various social media pod, uh, p- platforms. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, both at the Witten Whiskey Cast, uh, you know, no H in wit and an E in whiskey, as we always say. <laughs> you can email us at thewittenwhiskeycast at gmail.com. Uh, big shout out to uh, Nuno Henry Silva. He did a, does our intro and our outro, of course. We're going to send you over to his SoundCloud uh, in the show notes for this week. So be sure to give him some love and drop us a review. You know, we want to hear feedback. We want to hear, you know, any suggestions for whiskeys to review. We want to hear, you know, any suggestions for topics. So drop us a review, you know, hey, you give us a five-star review. I'll give you a shout out on air. How's that? How's that for pandering, huh?
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: You you drop us a five-star review. we'll, We'll give you a shout out on air.
0: Yeah, yeah. Drop us that. Um, it should you know be really quick. Drop us that five star review if you if you like us. Uh, the reviews. I I haven't found a way to review things on like Spotify and shit. But we know that you can review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, if you could do that, that we'd super appreciate it. When you do, shout out to us on Instagram, Facebook. Ask, drop us a, a line at the email. Uh, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. Uh, and we're always looking for for new. New topics, new whiskey, anything. So our our various platforms are wide open. Feel free to message us out. That's
1: true. And you're not gonna hurt our feelings. We're, we're we're big boys.
0: All right.
1: So what in the hell are we going to do next week? I think it's it's my my turn to pick. I think you got to throw me three, and then it's my turn to pick. That's fair. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I've added a mm-hmm. few the, over the course of a week, so. But don't feel like you have to pick any of those. But You might notice the list is longer.
0: Uh, let's see. Coffee versus
1: tea. I knew you were going to. That was going to be one of them you were going to pick.
0: <laughs> I can't resist. I have so many thoughts in both ways. Comic books. I mean, you know, we got a good jumping off point for here. We do. And I don't know. How about what if we did another hot takes? OK. Uh, hot takes on Hmm, books.
1: Ooh. Ooh, now you done now you done throwing me a curveball there. Hmm. Do it like last time, three over, three under? We could. Uh, yeah, all right. I, I think I think
0: we're gonna have to do that one. <laughs> we're gonna have to do hot takes on books. That'll be fun because I have many, 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 many books.
1: Yeah, as do I. Just picking six—well, picking three either way—but just picking six is going to be difficult. But I—I I think we can do it.
0: Oh, I'm looking forward to next week already.
1: So there you have it, folks. Next week is going to be hot takes on books. We're going to each pick three books that we feel are underrated. We each can pick three books that we feel are overrated. And we're going to explain why, presumably outraging the other one on at least one or two of them. (laughs) Uh, But again, don't forget, just because something's overrated doesn't mean it's bad. And just because something's underrated doesn't mean it's good. Trust us.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'll make sure to pick one that's probably not very good, but I still love it.
1: Yeah, I I probably will, too, because I've got a couple doozies upstairs. So all right well until then folks once again thank you all for listening and uh, that's going to be the end of this week's episode of the wit nifty cast so salute cheers